following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome to Hump Day. It is February 21st. I'm joined by my Hump Day expert, Anshu Khanna. Anshu, how are you this evening? (laughs) Oh man, a humperful day here in Chicago. Always is, and uh, I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. I've got Dan Bauer here as well, so the, the crew's back together. You can tell by our joyous approach to the show this evening. Yeah, happy to be here. Perfect hump day temperature here in Cleveland, a nice uh, 69 degrees at the time of recording this show. I have a hard time believing that, but uh, perfect. Yeah. That, that, that gets us kicking it right off, and I know you guys are excited <laughs> to talk some baseball tonight. Um, first time, really. Well, we, we've had a couple big signings. We had the Darvish signing. We talked about, uh, you know, the the move. Uh, what was the move on Monday we talked about, Dan? Your boy, Hosmer. And then we've got a couple other big moves that uh, took place in the baseball world tonight. So, Dan, bring us up to speed on the J.D. Martinez on the move. Yeah, so J.D. Martinez ends up in Boston. So I will say I was wrong on this one. Listeners, I apologize I said it. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to end up back uh, in Arizona, and I really did think that at some point. I thought Boston would pull the offer, uh, but they they did not. So J.D. Martinez ends up back in Boston, um, and they match what you know the Yankees did. The Yankees get Stanton. The Red Sox come right back, and they put J.D. Martinez on their roster. Uh, it's a five-year, $110 million deal, so a little bit more than that 100 million dollar offer that Boston was thrown around, but not as much as the original, you know, 200 plus offer for over seven years that Martinez wanted. But a great move for Boston keeps pace with the Yankees. You know, J.D. Martinez is a guy who out hit and out OBP'd John Carlos Stanton last year, same slugging percentage. So uh, projected, at least according to baseball uh, reference, to have better stats than Stanton again this year. We'll see if that actually happens, obviously. That remains to be seen, but Boston just keeping up with the Yankees, and it is going to be a fun AL East once again. Anshu, how excited are you for this battle coming for postseason 2018? I'm super excited. It's really nice that something finally went right for the Red Sox and Yankees, so I'm very (laughs) happy for two woebegone franchises like that to rekindle their battles of years past. But yeah, no, I... This was just such an obvious move for both sides to, to get done, um, like you said, kind of middle ground. Um, in addition to the, the money that he gets per year, J.D. Martinez, it is, he you know also has two opt-out clauses, which is similar to the way that Jason Hayward's deal is structured when he signs with the Cubs. Um, a little different because Martinez is already 32, so there are very few avenues to him opting out of this deal, given how much money it is. It is front-loaded, but you know it makes little sense for him to opt out at 35 years old or something. He's not going to get more than that likely at that time. 
Um, but overall, like just an unbelievable bat to add to this team. Um, he immediately becomes, you know, top four or five hitter in the AL again. Uh, obviously, I, I don't think he's better than Stanton, but he certainly is a, a fair comparison in terms of the production that they'll both add. And in a division that's going to be very decided really at the margins and in, in a wild card chase that I think is going to be very good as well. Um, this becomes a super important signing when you think of what they can now do, the Red Sox that is, with uh, being able to only platoon Hanley Ramirez and uh, some of their other options. So really a, an interesting fit, um, a good fit. It made sense all along. And, um, you know, it, it, the money and the years and all and the, and the opt outs make sense. Yeah, and Anshu, you say this is, uh, obviously, Dan's question was, you know, how excited are you for this race? But I, I want to know what you guys think about how much this really closes the gap. I mean, I think the Yankees, with the big moves that they've made, uh, you know, Giancarlo Stanton in particular, have kind of separated themselves from Boston. Does this do enough to keep them in that conversation? Dan, you want to take that? Yeah, I mean, I think Boston, honestly, with this signing and assuming that pitching staff stays healthy, I still think the Red Sox could win this race, which is why I think it's such an interesting ad, uh, such an exciting ad, at least in terms of if you really want to watch a playoff race. So I think Boston can still win the East. I hesitate to call them the favorite, but, you know, they they add Martinez. I think the Yankees are going to miss Todd Frazier a little bit. You know, Stanton remains to be seen what he is going to be able to do uh, you know, with the pressure of New York, he's obviously playing in Miami, a little bit easier of a, uh, a baseball city to play in. So we'll see how Stanton adjusts. And J.D. Martinez, you know, used to the AL and is going to be ready to go. So I still think Boston can win it and maybe even a slight favorite. Anshu, what do you think? Uh, I, you know, I, I look at the lineups. I think they're pretty similar. I mean, they're not similar in terms of the way that they're constructed. The Yankees are all power. You look at Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton and on and on down the line. They also had Brandon Jury, who we'll talk about. They have Glaber Torres coming up, one of the best power hitting middle infielders that we've seen in the last five or so years. Um, but you look at the pitching and you look at Chris Sale, who is by far the best pitcher on either team. Uh, you look at Rick Porcello, who's who's done it now for two years in a row. David Price coming off of injury. Drew Pomerantz, you know, off and on. Eduardo Rodriguez, one of the better young prospects also in baseball. All those guys coming for the Red Sox. Brian Johnson's another good one that I like and a really good bullpen. Um, and then the Yankees, you know, you got Severino. But then I think there's a pretty big drop-off. They get Sonny Gray for a full season, but he's a little bit overrated, I think. I expect Tanaka to be better. But then after him, there's a huge drop-off. I think the Yankees are built more for 2020. I've, I've said this, I, or 2019 or 2020. I don't think that they're really, like they obviously trade for Stanton. They've got all this power, but I don't think that their depth in their rotation is is good enough. I would make the Red Sox the favorites because they're a better overall all-around team. Um, you know, if David Price is really bad, then they're screwed. But I, I think it's going to be really close, and I, I would actually give the nod to the Red Sox. Wow. Surprised to hear both of you uh, kind of lean that direction. Um We'll see. I, 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 I obviously not the baseball mind that you two are, but uh, <laughs> I still think the Yankees. When you when you add in that additional power, uh, the, their their lineup front to bottom. I mean, top to bottom is just it's just it's very good. It's it, crazy. It, I, You're right about I, that. I, just, I, I mean, I do I do think I I do think the pitching staff does kind of uh, lean toward toward Boston, but 
it's going to be tough to keep up with this team, uh, in yeah. my opinion. But we'll we'll see. I mean, I think that they were a year ahead of their, uh, you know, ahead of the pace that people expected them to be last year when they went on their run. Um, True. I, I think this I think this team could definitely um, make a run for the World Series this year. They're also so, built for October because they're they're let's not forget their bullpen. Their last three that they have when you roll Canley and Robertson and roll this Chapman. Um, that doesn't get much better than that. So, and we've seen with the Indians two years ago that 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 alone can lead you, let alone with that lineup. So, points well taken. But I think over the course of a 162 game season, the depth and the rotation is going to give Boston a slight edge. Sure, I, I could see that. Uh, other baseball news: uh, Aren't you t- walk us through the trade? Uh, there was a trade that uh, took place between a couple of the teams that we were just talking about here recently. So, uh, walk us through that. Yeah, so Brandon Jury, who plays second and outfield and a little bit of third uh, for Arizona, goes to the Yankees, who are rumored to be interested in Mike Moustakis. This, to me, rules that out. Um, he goes to the Yankees. Yankees deal uh, a prospect along with another prospect from Arizona. They go to Tampa, and Tampa trades big hitting outfielder Steven Souza across to the NL, across the country to Arizona, um, where he will... I'm not sure what their plan is there. Um, they have Yasmani Tomas. They have AJ Pollock. They just signed Gerard Dyson after they lost out on JD Martinez. So they've got uh, too many pieces in the puzzle there. Uh, I'm not sure what their plan is going to be, but uh, maybe Tomas gets DFA. I have no idea what their plan is, but that, that's a lot of moving pieces. And again, it's just another guy for the Yankees. So he goes to third. I think Drury will go to third. You'll see Gregorius at short, and I think Glaber Torres at second for the Yankees. Well, something to keep an eye on with that is what this likely does is allows the Yankees to leave Gleyber Torres in AAA long enough to get that extra year of team control. So you could have, you know, Andahar play second and then or move um, move him over to third, have Jury play second, you know, whatever you want to do. But I think that this might rule out Torres starting the season with the big club. He may end up in AAA for you know, those few weeks where he can gain a couple years of team control. I don't necessarily think it takes him out of the Mike Moustakis signings, especially with this offseason and the how few dollars are being spent in compared to what we thought. So, I don't, you know, and it's the Yankees, so it's not like they can't afford it. So it is a lot of moving pieces, and it would kind of jam up that roster. Um, but I don't necessarily think it takes him out of the Mike Moustakis uh, signing. Aren't you, well, I, I have a quick question for you around that so the yankees appear to be making a shift from more of a future laden prospect you know team to now they're it seems like they're unloading a lot of their prospects in the last you know second half of last year leading up to the trade deadline and then mm-hmm. you know in this offseason do you think they're making that shift toward you know contending now because they went on as deep of a run as they did last year whereas before that maybe they weren't really looking at it as right here and now yeah, no, I think it's a great point. Um, I, I mean, I I totally believe that they, you know, most other teams, you'll get the White Sox, our boys, and a couple other teams where they'll kind of hang on to their prospects. The Yankees made no, you know, bones about the fact that they were going to immediately turn and flip their guys. And to Dan's question or point, I guess, about Andahar versus Torres, I mean, both those guys at their time, like, they could still both be eligible for Super 2. So that's just another example of the fact that they – 
Yankees are interested in bringing these guys up, moving them along. They don't care about playing time restrictions. They don't care about losing a year of control. They don't mind trading them for more experienced pieces. That's just how they operate. I mean, as much as Brian Cashman wants to talk about being smarter with their money and all that, I mean, at the end of the day, there was a rumor this weekend that Bob Nightingale said it's a fait accompli. Like, they are getting Manny Machado next offseason, which sucks because I really thought he'd be a white sock down the line, but whatever. Um, but, you know, paying Stanton and you know, trading for Sonny Gray and doing things like this with their prospects just goes to show that they, you know, they have little care or interest in keeping these prospects. They will move them quickly and they're ready to strike right now. Interesting. So do you think that that trade in particular moves the needle more for New York or for Arizona? I mean, I think that it moves it for New York um, because I do think that Drury is going to be a third baseman. I think that it keeps them in the – I think that that takes them out of the stock is because I think they will sign Machado next offseason now, put him at short, move Gregorius to second, move Glaber to third, and now you're all set. I mean, and you, you can just stopgap it with Drury for this season because he's fine. He's not great or whatever, but he's fine. And I think that'll that's how it'll all work out. So, um, But, I, I mean – Arizona adding Sousa, like I said, I don't get what Arizona's doing. <laughs> so <laughs> I think Sousa's the best player in this deal, but I'm not sure if they're playing on using him as like a platoon guy or a full-time player. Because full-time, he's like a legit big-time power threat. And in that, you know, in that Arizona stadium, despite the presence of the new humidor thing that they're talking about, like they're still, the balls are going to fly out of that d- desert in the, in the heat. So, I, you know, I think that he could be, have enormous numbers this season for Arizona. Well, the other thing we talk about this deal is the fact that, you know, the Rays now over this deal and then obviously Odorizzi are officially in sell mode. I mean, there is going to be zero good baseball in the state of Florida next season (laughs) between Miami and Tampa Bay. I mean, it's just tank city for both teams at this point. Yep, it's true. Yeah, it seems like that division's getting a little bit top-heavy, especially if Machado does end up moving uh, after this season, right? So we'll keep an yep. eye on that. Uh, among other things in the baseball world, want to make a shift to the NFL. There's been a few pieces of news, and I know we're uh, getting, getting kind of uh, lengthy here, so I did want to just kind of briefly, swiftly move through these. Uh, but Doug Martin, the longtime Tampa Bay Buccaneers running back, is cut by the Bucks. Uh, Jarvis Landry gets the franchise tag. I believe he'll make $16 million this year, so he'll stay on the Dolphins, uh, at least it looks like. And then Marcus Peters of the Kansas City Chiefs is being shopped. And I, I wanted to just kind of go first to you, Dan. Any of these moves in particular stand out to you? Marcus Peters is, is the bigger one just because he's such a talented player. I know he's had some locker room issues, and I know that Chiefs secondary is a little crowded, but He's, you know, arguably they're, you know, one of the best uh, defensive backs in, you know, in the league. And so getting rid of him, even with his locker room issues, I think is, is a little, little surprising. Uh, but I'd be interested to hear your guys' take on it. Yeah, aren't you? And it looks like the Chiefs are really not, not necessarily saying that anybody's protected here. It looks like they're willing to move just about anybody in their foundation on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that Patrick Mahomes is probably untouchable <laughs> based on the fact that they just... <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, no, it's great. It's a great point. And uh, there was a really interesting article I read today, at least interesting for me. But um, they, you know, they trade in that Alex Smith deal. They Everyone talked about the picks they got, but they also got Kendall Fuller in that deal, who's a really good young corner, one of the best. And he was just his first or second year last year. 
So, you know, you add um, Marcus Peters to him, and the article I was reading was basically one corner does not make a pass defense function. You need two. And now they have both of them if you add Peters with Fuller. And uh, so I'm interested to see what how, how many, you know, whether this, this story actually has legs or not with Peters because those two guys together could be really scary to deal with in that division and across the conference, really. That's you know that's that's a pretty lockdown set a duo right there um in kansas city i mean with the new gm i'm not sure if they'll take that bold of a stroke with a guy like peters yeah that would be significant if if they move yeah. peters i don't i mean you you hear some of these stories and we talk a lot about the nba leading up to the trade deadline and how you know how much smoke was really blown with uh you know rumors and things like that you don't see that as much in the nfl especially with trades mm-hmm. but this w- this could be one we could be talking about you know or i should say not talking about here in the coming weeks at all so <laughs> um i thought the doug martin one was interesting uh, obviously his production's been down he's been injury prone but uh, i think martin could get another chance somewhere to to be a productive role player on a team that maybe has uh, more of a scat back type at the one. Um, so we'll see where he ends up and lands. Uh, Jarvis Landry, I was hoping that, uh, you know, maybe the Bengals would take a shot at somebody like him as their number two receiver, but him being franchise tagged kind of takes that off the table. So um, good to see him get the money because I think he's worth it. But uh, it's it's tough when you're a Bengals fan and you need a number two. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Any anything else uh, in the NFL world that uh, that you guys are are keeping an eye on here in the coming days? I know that the combine's coming up. I know that's near and dear to your heart, aren't you? Oh, uh, yeah. We will definitely be talking more about that. But anything else? I've, obviously, I know Venetary mentioned he's coming back for a twenty third season potentially this year <laughs> as long as he gets a deal. And uh, um, Jabril, uh, not Jabril Peppers, uh, Julius Peppers is going to play another year as long as it's for Carolina, and he's going to be thirty eight this season. So those were two that, that that I thought were interesting. But anything else that you guys saw in the last couple of days in that uh, in that front? Well, I'll just say this: that today with with the Landry tagging, um, you'll see more of those happen over the next seventy two or so hours. It's expected that you know. That, I mean, I think Allen Robinson's a name to watch out for. He only played like four snaps last year because he tore his ACL up. But the year before that, he was an absolute star. So seeing if he gets franchised, seeing if some of these other guys get franchised, Demarcus Lawrence was a stud for the Cowboys. He's an edge rusher. That's a super premium position. Does he get franchised? Um, you know, what do the Skins do with Kirk Cousins? I mean, I know we've we've kind of joked about the fact that they might franchise him, but that's really it's possible that he's out there and and you know that they are able to get something for him by by franchise tagging him. So I think that's an interesting option as well. Um, so I would just keep an eye out on the franchise tag market in advance of the combine. Big time. Dan, uh, anything else? I guess, Dan, we can segue into our microwave as well. I want you to set this up for Anshu because I want him to knock this one out of the park. Oh, wow. Um, but if you had anything to add on the NFL and then uh, go right into this uh, this microwave around some vacation. No, I think you guys covered it pretty well, and I'm uh, getting pretty hungry here. I need a snack, so <laughs> I think it's time to, to throw it in the microwave. And as promised on our last show, we are going to start talking – uh, some more college basketball, so we'll get to get to that. Um, and now I'm kind of blanking on what uh, our microwave was going to be. I think we transitioned it. And hey, that's, that's all right, buddy. I, I'm here for you. So Louisville. <laughs> oh, um, okay. So some big news around Louisville. Uh, 
this is how they do it in the pros, folks. Uh, but Louisville's going to be forced to vacate some some big wins uh, here um, on an ongoing investigation. Looks like the 2013 team is going to have to give up their uh, their title. So, Anshu, I want to put some time on the microwave. I'm going to give you 60 seconds, and I want you to take this one and run with it. So that microwave starts now. All right, little hump day microwave action. Nothing better. Um, so I. I this, this is the story. Last week, late last week, Yahoo comes out and says as many as half the teams that were listed on the um, it, during the NCAA selection committee's like fake mock selection Sunday that they had a couple or a couple days ago, maybe a week ago, um, almost half of them might be forced to get sanctioned out of the tournament potentially, and all were going to get hit with major major sanctions. Um, Louisville was, as we already knew, was already going to be out of this year's tournament. Rick Pitino, of course, got fired. The AD got fired. Um, now they're being forced to vacate their 2013 title, which is just, I always, these are always so freaking stupid. Like, oh, Reggie Bush is no longer the Heisman. Does anyone remember that he, because he, his mom got a house from a booster, that he now isn't a Heisman winner? No, we all remember him running wild on Fresno State and the Bush push and all that stuff. I mean, it, this is the kind of ridiculous, like, you know, in name only nominal penalty that we see. And this is just another example of it. Is anyone not going to remember the fact that Louisville won the title? No. I mean, we all remember the greatness of Rick Pitino and those teams that he helped carry to that, you know, that final destination. So this is this kind of stuff is just stupid because it, it's in retrospect. Now, if they were actually to penalize some of these teams this year, that would be, you know, actionable stuff. That would be something that people would stand and take notice of and, and coaches would be fearful that maybe in the middle of like a really exciting season, they potentially lose a tournament for it. That would cause fan bases to go up in arms. This stuff, I mean, it's all, you know, it's all just whatever. It's like, Oh, you take your name plate off a trophy. People won't forget about the season though. So that's my opinion on it. I don't know if I didn't, I went short on the microwave. That's surprising, but you know, it is what it is. I gave you a few extra seconds because you were doing so well. I didn't want to cut you off with a ding. Wow, thanks, uh, bud. <laughs> but uh, I, I have to agree with you. I, I don't, I don't get what the point is of taking away past uh, accomplishments from a program. Is I, it, like you said. I mean, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna unremember or, or you know forget what, yeah. what happened and what took place. So to, to me, it's just. It's kind of ridiculous. I, I do get, you know, suspending a team or, or taking away future opportunities from them because of, of things. But that, that you could also argue the other side of that, too, because, you know, these guys that were recruited to play for the for Louisville, you know, they were recruited there without, you know, this in their mind that they were going to have to not have an opportunity to play in a tournament or whatever the case might be. So, you know, it's 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 really, you know, it's difficult to, to come up with a, a penalty that that really fits the crime because True. you're either penalizing people who have already been rewarded for what they did on the field or the court or whatever, or you're taking something away from somebody who had no part of it. So it, either way, exactly. it's like a catch 22. There's not really a winner, uh, a winning situation there. Uh, Dan, right. did you have any thoughts on that? So just wanted to say thanks for saving me. On our Michael Hibbs topic. But, uh, <laughs> hey, we're a team here. Just to play devil's advocate uh, for this one. I mean, I, it is hard to punish guys, you know, playing for this season. Obviously, it is a harsher penalty and something that colleges would take more notice of if you were going to lose tournament versus, you know, this year, a following year. But again, that goes back to the argument that you're punishing kids who, who weren't there, who weren't involved, who didn't do anything wrong. You know, I know sometimes the NCAA gives you that the option to transfer, but then kids have to move schools, they have to move cities, they have to move states. 
uh, if they want to compete for a national t- championship. And, you know, so who is it really fair on? You know, obviously, I think the the best thing is it's got to be more financial fines, financial penalties on the actual coaches, the actual people who are involved, and just ratchet up the civil penalties. You know, all of a sudden, if Rick Pitino gets hit with a $5 million fine, I think teams are going to take notice. Obviously, hard to find the schools because that takes money away from from education, from programs, from a lot of different things. But if you started punishing coaches at a very serious level uh, financially, I think that's when maybe people will take notice. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I don't hate that at all. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, surprising. You guys, neither of you have a, a, a two, two people that take. agreed with Dan on the show. That's that's a new uh, – I think that's a new leftovers moment for us. Yeah. But uh Wanted to get to our Oh, By the Ways tonight. Uh, I will start with you, Dan. Did you remember your Oh, By the Way, at least? (laughs) I did. I appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, So my Oh, By the Way, the MLB announced the change of of pace rules for this year. Some interesting stuff. Uh, Mound visits without a pitching change are going to be limited to six uh, per nine innings. And uh, not making that up. Uh, But the interesting part of all this, and there's a couple other ones, and it's mostly having to deal with how much time in between pitching changes and commercial breaks and all that. But with the, the mound visits thing, it's interesting because there's not really a hard and fast rule. It's going to let umpires essentially have the ability to both punish people, but also give some leeway. If they think it's just a simple signs have been crossed up, they can let the catcher go to the pitcher and talk it out. I mean, it's a very, it's a very loose. It's, you know, it's a lot of the stuff with these MLB rules like the pitch clock where it's, yeah, it's there, but we don't really enforce it. So, um, again, I think all this pace of play stuff is probably a conversation for a different day. is all silly. I mean, nobody's going to sit there and remember a game like, oh, man, since that thing was two hours and 37 minutes instead of two hours and 43 minutes, I'm a much bigger baseball fan now. Uh, I think it's all pretty silly in the end, but, you know, we'll see what the pace of play stuff does. Uh, and then my second one and a little bit of repeat of Monday's show uh, did a baseball preview on the underdog with Chris Wardell. So if you haven't checked that out from over the weekend, uh, make sure and give that podcast some love. Uh, the one that Anshu, our fellow Leftovers member, does with Chris Wardell. So check that out, too. Awesome. Uh, Anshu, what do you have for us? Or are you well, microwaved for- out? Um, I'm microwaved out, but I got a quick one for you for my buddy Steve. Could talk a little college basketball today. Um so, uh, like a month ago, we were talking about Trey Young and just how unbelievable his season had been and how great he was looking and the fact that we had the first ever points and assist country leader and it was looking like that was going to be the case for the remainder of the season. Since then, <laughs> Oklahoma has gone way into the tank. They have now lost after their loss at Kansas last night six games in a row. Um, which is just unheard of. I mean, they've lost basically all in conference. They're really looking in jeopardy. They've lost, let's see, six, nine, uh, nine of 12, 11 games. I mean, this is this is a disaster. They look very unlikely to make the tournament, and uh, Trey Young's draft stock is also consequently slipping. I mean, I, I would love to see him in a bold uniform just because he's really exciting, but, man, I think you got to look at him and wonder, you know, if he can't bring this team up in a conference that, is good, but not great by any means. You got to wonder, you know, if he can do the same and merits like a top five or ten pick in the NBA. Well, Markel Fultz did it. Ben did. Simmons did it. That's right. That's right. And and I, I mean, Ben Simmons. One difference is that those two guys are much better built physically for the NBA. Absolutely. Than 
Absolutely. I would not disagree with you there. I think that the comparisons with him and Steph Curry have gotten people to make this unrealistic expectation of what he is as a player. And I don't think you can compare somebody to Steph Curry that you haven't seen compete at that level. Uh, I, that, that's the one thing I'm going to say about Trey Young for now. But we will talk more about Trey Young, uh, especially if he can get his team back on track and into the conversation for March. But uh, I have a quick one. This is something we never do on the leftovers. So I actually like throwing in the oh, by the way, some things that we never talk about. So it's not going to be the Olympics. But uh, UFC, <laughs> Donald Cowboy Cerrone uh, actually moved into a three-way tie for the most wins in UFC history. Uh, after a big win against Yancey Medeiros in a first-round knockout. I've always been a huge Cowboy Cerrone fan. I do like the UFC. I know Chris does a show about the UFC, so I'm sure if he listens, he'll appreciate the shout-out. But good to see Donald Cerrone, uh, now 30-10 and 10 in his career, and has 20 wins in the UFC. So um, just wanted to mention that. Uh, we definitely went long this episode, but uh, we always seem to pack in information, even when there's very little news out there. And it's when all three of us are together, and that's the ones I enjoy the most. So um, for Anshu Kana, for Dan Bauer, it's Hump Day. It's Anshu's favorite day of the week. Uh, help him get everyone this suck by it. listening, rating, and subscribing. We love you guys. It's been the leftovers. I'm Josh Dunn.